Hey, it's Catherine. Before we get started, two things to share with you. I am so excited to tell you that The Double Shift is hosting our very first live event, a listening party in New York City on the evening of April 9th at Luminary NYC, which is a community and workspace for women in Nomad in Manhattan. I'm going to be interviewed by the amazing author Lauren Smith Brody. Space is very limited, so go to thedoubleshift.com for more information and to get your tickets. I can't wait to see you there. Next, I want to tell you about an amazing book you are going to want to check out. It's called Forget Having It All, How America Messed Up Motherhood and How to Fix It. It's by Amy Westervelt. Amy is an advisor to this show and helped report this episode. Forget Having It All is one of my favorite books on motherhood and feminism. It's a historical and intersectional look at how American ideas about motherhood were formed and how they impact women today, whether or not they have kids. She explores through history, stretching back to pre-colonial times, how the nuclear family idea became so cemented in American culture, how racism impacted mothering norms in non-white communities, and the history of our centuries-long pathology around daycare, and so much more. Amy gets at the root of our modern parenting woes and suggests both cultural and policy shifts that might actually change things. Also, if you've seen this quote floating around social media, I've seen it like a hundred times. We expect women to work like they don't have kids and raise kids like they don't work. That is from this book. Buy Forget Having It All by Amy Westervelt, wherever you get your books. This is The Double Shift, the show about a new generation of working mothers. I'm your host, Katherine Goldstein. Every mother works, and this podcast is about our stories. It's not about parenting or kids. It's about us and challenging the world we live in today. We know that moms work in all kinds of jobs, and this week we want to explore a very different kind of profession. It's the sexy version of the American dream. Today we're going inside some brothels, and we're talking with moms who are sex workers. See, in a handful of counties in Nevada, sex work is legal in brothels and is highly regulated. There aren't official stats on how many mothers work at the 20 or so brothels in Nevada, but there are estimates that the businesses serve around half a million clients a year. We know sex work has been in the news a lot lately, and we are going to get to some of that a bit later. But in this story, our focus is really on moms who work in brothels. This is a group of moms we don't hear a lot about, And the reason we wanted to do this story isn't for the shock value. It's because here at The Double Shift, we want to tell way more diverse stories about all kinds of working moms with different life experiences, backgrounds, and professions. I really believe we can all learn from each other. So now we're going to jump right in to get a sense of what a brothel is actually like. And two Double Shift team members helped report this story, so you're going to hear their voices a couple times too. Normally, we would start in the bar because that's where we normally meet up at. That's Christina Marie at the Mustang Ranch, about 20 minutes outside of Reno. And I should say that all the names we're using in the episode are the names the women go by at work, but aren't their legal names. So at the Mustang Ranch, the bar is the first thing you see when you walk in. It looks kind of like a lot of bars. There are TVs on the wall, a counter with bar stools, and tables to sit and eat at. But in addition to the regular stuff, there's also a platform with a pole for dancers and 
a topless woman heading in from the kitchen carrying a tray of burgers. Yeah, hey, hey, Serena. Is there any rings on there? Yeah, man. Okay, sorry. Past the bar is a spacious room behind a locked door. There's a huge leather couch, a fireplace, and a counter where you can buy sex toys and t-shirts. And this is where clients can request a lineup. That's when all of the women who are available come line up in front of you so you can choose one or more. Usually the next step is a tour, chatting at the bar, or heading into the negotiation room. And then these three closed doors right here are where we do all of our negotiations at. We're not allowed to talk about any price or anything outside of those rooms. So if you guys are like, well, I really want to know, we can go in there or I say it's like car shopping. You want to pay a Kia price, you're getting a Kia experience. You want a Lamborghini experience, you're paying a Lamborghini price. It's the best I can do without going in there. <laughs> Women who work at Mustang are freelance contractors, and they told us they have no problem turning down requests that they aren't comfortable with. They might even recommend someone else who's better suited for it. So, as you know, we're all independent contractors here, the best part about the job. So we're allowed to price and do what we feel comfortable with. The house doesn't force anything on us. And part of working in a legal brothel means there are extra protections set up to ensure safety. This closed door right here is our doctor's office. So we are tested once a month for AIDS, HIV, and every week for STDs. Every lady that you see on the other side of the door in the bar has been tested and cleared. We are not even allowed to peek around the door if we are not tested or cleared. In addition to regular testing for the women who work at the ranch, there's also something called a dick check, or a DC. It's pretty much exactly what it sounds like, a quick visual inspection, complete with medical gloves, for signs that the client has an STI. This all happens before they go party. That's the word used to mean whatever happens behind closed doors after services are paid for. Sex requires protection. Panic buttons are hidden in the rooms in case one of the workers feels threatened, and security guards are on site in case a client gets out of line. If you go down the hall to the right, you'll find an indoor jacuzzi. Other spaces include themed fantasy bungalows and a dominatrix room. Come in here, have a good time. We do have all the toys. We have whips, handcuffs, chains. Yeah, (laughs) so you can use those in here. Some people are like, absolutely not. There's different levels of BDSM dominatrix. I do more of the light tickle play and fetishes, but you can still use this room. It is the only room in the house with a round bed and a sex swing. But beyond the jacuzzis and chains and fantasy suites, the Mustang Ranch is a business. My name is Tara, and I'm the madam at the Mustang. Most of the brothels in Nevada are owned by men, but madams actually manage the day-to-day activity. Tara started off as what she calls a working girl. This is a term used by some sex workers in this part of the industry, though they're not actually girls since everyone at the brothel is of legal age, which is confirmed through FBI background checks. The Mustang wouldn't release the exact earnings of its sex workers, but the women we spoke to said they can earn over $100,000 a year. The Mustang Ranch told us that in 2018, the women who worked there collected a total of between 4 and $5 million in take-home pay. So yeah, this is a big business. We probably get 20 applications a day, Wow. if not more. Do you require them to be in like a certain type of physical shape or like weight nope. range or anything like that? I do not believe in that. It's all about that conversation and that connection. We hire all types. It's not so surprising that Tara would look out for the women professionally, making sure the job is a good fit and that they can make that connection. 
But she also looks out for them in other ways, especially the moms. We have a particular girl, just got a divorce, and she won custody of her little girl. She had no place to live. She had no child care. She's not from Reno. And so I pretty much stepped in and helped her find a house and got her, had her work her butt off to get that down payment on that house and helped her seek the right person to watch her kid by going with her and interviewing nannies because she had no idea what she was in for and how to do any of this. Mm -hmm. This is all brand new to her. Mm -hmm. And so now she's comfortable in Reno and with her kid and surviving. Yeah, Tara is a madam who helps sex workers find nannies. This may not be typical, but for Tara, it's all part of making sure moms have what they need to be able to do their job and to quote unquote retire when the time is right. Even though she's been in this industry for a long time, Tara thinks that for most people, it's best as a short-term career. We try and emphasize on them to save their money, build their clientele, and be out of this business in five years. We have some girls that have been here for 15 years, and that works for them. And where some girls, we want them to focus on bettering themselves, especially the ones with kids, because you don't want to be in this business 20, 30 years later and have children. You want to build their relationships, too, outside Mm -hmm. of here. Can you think of an example of a a girl that has done the, like, you know, a girl that has kids and has done the sort of, like, five-year plan and what that looks like, like, just sort of from from beginning to end? Um, That had kids and kind of got in and got out? Yeah. Yeah, she came here with a goal in mind, put herself through school, and now she's an RN. Yeah. And she's taking really good care of her kids, and I still talk to her till this day. That's awesome. Yeah. There's a lot of success stories out there, a lot. Is it hard for people, though, to transition? Like, it seems like you'd make more money doing this than being an RN. Of course. And so, like, (laughs) is it hard from, like, going from doing this and making, like, pretty good money? It is. It is. And and she still gets tempted. You know, you can hear it in her voice when she calls, well, how's business out there? And so, of course, I tell her, well, why are you asking? And she just kind of giggles. She knows that the money's here, but she loves what she's doing right now. Mm -hmm. And that's what's important, you know. I feel like there's probably trans- a lot of transferable skills too, right? Oh like- gosh, yeah, because you're caregivers here. Right. And so a lot of our girls actually go into the nursing field. We've talked to a lot of women about taking maternity leave and what it looks like <laughs> and like, what do you feel like when you come back from having a baby? What is like a typical maternity leave situation look like in this business? I think it's just like any other job. They just, I mean, there's no particular time they take off. They might come back two or three months after the baby and they jump right back into things. As soon as they feel comfortable with themselves mentally and physically, then they let us know and they come right back. We've got people here to help them health-wise with working out or their diet or any of that. And so if they have a problem with something, they let us know. And just like any other job, Mm -hmm. just help them out. So now we're going to take a break and hear from our first sponsor, Third Love. I have been a fan of Third Love for years, and I am so excited that they are sponsoring the Double Shift. So you hear these stories about how tons of women are walking around with the wrong size bra. I've always thought, who are these women who don't know their own bra size? So when I first decided to buy a Third Love bra a few years ago, I took their Fit Finder quiz, and it turns out I needed a new size bra after my year-long stint of breastfeeding. Just answer a few simple questions to find your perfect fit in 60 seconds. They offer over 70 sizes, including their signature half cup sizes. And this is hands down the most comfortable bra you'll ever own. 
They use memory foam in the cups, and it's amazing. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, they're offering my listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash doubleshift now to find your perfect fitting bra. That's thirdlove.com slash doubleshift for 15% off. Now I want to tell you about Molecule. Molecule introduces a breakthrough science that is finally capable of destroying air pollutants at the molecular level. Did you know before Molecule, the last major breakthrough in air filters was over 70 years ago? Molecule's PICO technology goes beyond HEPA filtration to not just capture but completely destroy the full spectrum of indoor air pollutants, including those a thousand times smaller than a HEPA filter can trap. I know there's a lot of kids and adults out there with allergies and asthma, and Molecule's technology has been personally effective and verified by science. But most importantly, it's been tested by real people. Molecule has already helped allergy and asthma sufferers around the country better cope with their conditions and significantly reduce their symptoms. One customer even said that she was, quote, able to breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. For $75 off your first order, visit Molecule.com. That's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com. And at checkout, enter DoubleShift. That's Molecule with a K dot com. And at checkout, enter DoubleShift for $75 off. Okay, we're back. So before we keep going with this story, we want to take a step back and talk about some of the issues in the big picture of sex work. We know that it's been in the news a lot lately. The New York Times reported on a series of raids on massage parlors in Florida, places that were exploiting undocumented women, in this case from Asia. And at the time of this taping, the Nevada brothels are also the subject of a federal lawsuit that claims trafficking is happening there, too. The Mustang Ranch strongly denies this and has requested the suit be dismissed. The Double Shift's editorial advisor, Amy Westervelt, has been covering these issues for a couple of years, so she's going to help us understand what's going on. And we want to start by talking about a ballot initiative in Nevada last year that asked whether brothels in Lyon County should stay open. Lyon County is home to one of the brothels featured later in this story, the Sagebrush Ranch. In the state of Nevada, they um, made it legal for counties with a population of under 700,000 people to decide whether they wanted to allow brothels or not. But it was that was a, a decision that was made by county commissioners and never put out to a vote. So they put it out to a vote in Lyon County, and 80% of people said, keep the brothels open. Um, so now the same folks who had pushed that initiative have mounted this lawsuit against the state of Nevada in federal court. And they allege that the the state's brothel laws are in violation of a couple of federal laws that prohibit basically the movement of people for the purpose of sex work, both on the client side and on the worker side. So they're saying, look, this is a clear violation of these two federal laws. Uh, you know, this shouldn't be able to exist. But yeah, it's it's a lot of a lot of drama um, <laughs> happening around around this law. And do you have a sense of whether or not this suit is going to be successful or what the Nevada legislature is going to do? Or it's still really up in the air at, at this moment when we're recording? 
Yeah, it's pretty up in the air, but it's that's interesting too because um, the attorney who's bringing the suit specifically said to me that part of the reason that they're bringing it now is is a because he feels like you know the Me Too movement has created a lot more um, discussion around ideas of you know women and sexual abuse and sexual harassment and all these things, and then also that this year. Um, for the first time ever, Nevada's state legislature is a majority women. Wow. Which was interesting. And he actually, he did say like, not that I'm saying that just because it's women, they would vote a certain way, blah, blah, blah. But he kind of sees it as being more favorable to the suit because it's majority women, which is interesting because, you know, I think there's... That's so interesting. (laughs) There's kind of, yeah, right? There's kind of like a big divide amongst women and even amongst feminists over this issue. So I don't think that you could say at all that there's like a clear way that that women would vote versus men. But um, he did specifically mention that. Um, And I should mention too that the suit, the actual like named plaintiff in the suit is a woman who was a sex worker for a long time who is, you know, she describes herself as a trafficking victim and she worked in the brothels for a couple of stints during 2004 and 2005. And she claims that um, being sent to the brothels was a punishment from her pimp because the lowest earners would be sent there as punishment. And then anyone who sort of like got out of line, um, she was recruited by this attorney and this nonprofit that have been kind of working against the brothels in Nevada in general. So you can see it's really complicated. In fact, sex work is one of the most nuanced topics I've ever covered. Even among sex worker advocates, there's disagreements about the pros and cons of the brothel system. So we are posting some links on our website with more information. In our reporting, we did not get the impression that anyone we spoke to was working in the brothels against their will. But we should also say that At the brothels we visited, our interviews were mostly arranged through PR people. At the Mustang Ranch, the PR person sat nearby while the interviews were going on. We did as much as we could journalistically to fact check everything in the story. But even in doing that, we were sometimes working through middlemen. There were several things that came up in our interviews about life at the brothels that were pretty consistent. Everyone we spoke to said they split their earnings with brothels 50-50. Women also pay for room and board, which has to be paid the days that women are working. At the Mustang, it's $40 a day. Even with the split and the costs involved, the women we talked to said they are still able to make good money. I'll say, let me just put this way, it's well over six figures. That's Natasha Starr. She's a 38-year-old mom to a five-year-old son. And she was a Sagebrush Ranch's 2018 Starlet of the Year, which means she was their top earner. The sagebrush is about 50 miles from the Mustang. It has different ownership and some different policies. Natasha lives with her son in the area, and she works about five days a week while her son is taken care of by family. And like a few different women we talked with, money and motherhood were big motivating factors in getting into this work. Natasha is very focused on providing her son with some long-term financial security. So if I feel I can give him that financial stability out the gates and teach him at that young age, like, okay, I'm going to give you this money, but you have to invest it in this property and we are going to get you passive income and you're going to start now. Um, 
at 16, you know, like what he can do with that, and he can just start having passive income where he doesn't have to work for it, then he's free to pursue whatever he wants. You know, he doesn't have to have that fear, you know, like, oh, I have to go do this. I have to go forfeit my love or my, my dreams. And I don't know, maybe he'll want to be a broker or something. You know, that makes sense. But does it harm anything, having that extra cushion? Natasha has an associate's degree and was raised in a middle-class family. But before her son was born, the 2008 recession hit her really hard. I think all total, I was able to scrape $4,000 in a year. And um, I had no assistance. I didn't do food stamps. I didn't do anything. So I learned really how to survive during that, that point. And I'm talking like I was out eating, like went to the library to figure out which native plants I could pick to eat. Like that's how poor I'm saying it was. So it taught me a lot. Part of the reason she got into sex work is that she never wants her son to have that kind of experience. But the transition to this career was a big one. Before she worked at the Sagebrush, she had been a stay-at-home mom, and she had also worked in forestry. Yeah, I know, it's a leap. But she spent some time thinking about how to get into this work. I've been a stay-at-home mom, and then I was working out in the woods. Maybe I shouldn't just jump into the sex industry. So I decided uh, I'd probably be like a stripper for about... Uh, I said six months. Let me. So I found a full nude strip club and like, see if I can handle this before I just like, you know, jumped into Nevada brothel. And spoiler alert, Natasha decided she could handle it. She's been working in a brothel for just over a year. Every girl kind of has, the, you know, their own, I guess, thing. And I've kind of developed a kind of companion-y type of person. Um, now on the other spectrum, though, I have some hardcore kink people, you know, like I'm also the kink the kink girl. So it's, I'm just, I seem to be either like hardcore kink or like really girlfriend experience. One thing I was actually really afraid of starting this job because I started this job when I was 37 and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm approaching 40. You know, that was actually my big concern. It's like I had body changes from age also. I'm like, who's going to want someone that's almost 40? Guys love it. So it's like, like, so it really helped with my self-esteem. And even though Natasha is now very comfortable with herself sexually, it took a while for her to get to this point. I was raised very conservative, very Catholic, and I'm like, oh, this is dirty and bad, and, you know. And so I kind of have, like, this internal struggle. And then finally I got into, like, my 30s, and I got more in tune with myself. And I'm like, you know what? Sex is what I make it. It's not what anybody else says it is. If two people are consensual, then why not? And it's funny, too, because I think I am. I'm still pretty conservative. You know, like, I'm a pretty conservative person, like, I don't post news of myself. I'll never be in a porno. You know, that one of the things I don't allow are sex tapes. You know, it's, um, I'm a very intimate one-on-one type of person. Uh, not to say that I won't have multiple, you know, people in the party. You know, I, I'll be able to do that. But it's like, create the experiences. For Natasha, she thinks of this work as part therapy, part social interaction, and part physical. To her, it's all about connecting with other people, getting them to feel comfortable, and opening up. I'm very empathetic. I really like helping people. And I started, I went down this life path and I started thinking, I'm like, you know what? I bet the people that really need help are the people that a lot of them come in here, you know, for like they're lacking intimacy or, you know, they just need someone to care. And it's and it ended up being correct. So a lot of times people just go through different struggles, whether it's intimacy or love or there's this loneliness or depression or whatever. And they come in and um, they see comfort. I, I consider myself more of a companion. Um Sex is a very, very, very tiny part of this, part of this job.
Natasha says a number of her clients don't want any sex or sexual touching at all. Doing her work does require a certain kind of openness with people she's just met. I'm not saying this job would be great for everybody, but for somebody like me, like I can look at a stranger and I can find something beautiful about them. I don't care who you are, I can find something good. And it's like to be able to share and these people come in into these incredibly intimate moments and like you get to really see like raw humanity in this in this work. And I consider that an honor. So it was it's, it's a, it was a long process of actually getting to the point where I felt strong enough to come in here and put what I say, like my healing talents to work. And of course, that kind of nurturing and caregiving is also a big part of being a mom. Natasha says right now, the hardest part of the job isn't anything about the work. It's the time away from her son. Fortunately, with this job, though, like all the hours are long, um, I get a lot of downtime so I can FaceTime him, you know, and he can have a presence like I'll go on FaceTime. He's doing his alphabet. He shows me, you know, that sort of thing. So I'm like, oh, yay, you know, you're doing your ABCs. And so I see him in the morning. Um, sometimes I leave at one, depends uh, how I'm doing. But I see him every morning and go to work. And even though it's working out for Natasha right now, she has a good childcare situation and she makes good money. She still hopes that by the time her son is old enough to start asking questions about her work, she won't be doing it anymore, mainly because of how judgmental people can be about it. And I've had people say, like, hurtful things, you know, to me about it. And they just, they're ignorant. They don't know. I had a guy at the bar. He found out that I had a kid. And he's like, well, you know, um, he's going to grow up to be like a serial killer. And he's going to be like, I'm like, actually, no. <laughs> I'm like, so what is like one thing that you would want people to know, maybe who don't know anyone who does this kind of work, about being like a working girl and being a mother, like at the intersection of those two things? It's empowering. Like a lot of people try to vic victimize me and they try to say, oh, you know, it's negative. I'm like, no, you know what? I First off, I talked to a therapist about this stuff. You know, my kid's in no danger. He does not exposed to anything negative he's not exposed to sex he doesn't come into this work he doesn't see anything it's like when you hear about like those kids that are raised you know they get like completely traumatized because their mothers were prostitutes these were illegal street prostitutes that they would bring the guys into the house the kid would have to like hide in the closet you know they would see pimps beating the woman you know it's not the industry that has a negative impact on the kid it's how it was handled and one because having it illegal makes it really dangerous for children so one i think having a legal option is a lot better that way Of course, we know that when you're a mom, people have a lot of ideas about what you should and shouldn't be doing. There's a really wide range of experiences for sex workers. What does seem to be consistent is that this job carries a lot of stigma, especially for moms. Many of the moms we talk to keep their professional lives private because they worry about awkward conversations or shaming from other adults. We heard repeatedly how the women don't want their kids to know about this work at all. Some also didn't want their clients to know they have kids because of the judgment they have about it. Now we're back at the Mustang Ranch talking to another mom who goes by Chloe. She's the mom to a four-year-old daughter, and about a year and a half ago, she dropped out of college to come work here for a while. And uh, it was hard because my mom wasn't really okay with it. And I had to ask her the first time to watch my daughter. And I kind of like lie to her and tell her like, you know, I'm going on vacation. I'm not taking my kid with me for two weeks. That two weeks Chloe's talking about was a trial period to see if she was a good fit for the Mustang. Her mom wasn't happy about the whole thing. 
So she started acting like sketchy, like she was like she was said something about ta- like if I gave her guardianship or something of my daughter, then she would do it. Like she thought that um, she shouldn't be in an environment where her mom is doing this kind of work, and you know I don't expose her to anything. So I had I was kind of hesitant on coming at that point, but I went and got a document notarized saying that I give my mom permission to watch her because I'm going to be out of state for two weeks. Since things worked out and Chloe decided to stay, it means her schedule is tough. She doesn't live close by, so she comes to stay for a few weeks at a time and then goes home for a few weeks. Her best friend watches her daughter while she's gone and Chloe pays her a percentage of what she makes. Even though her daughter is in good hands, it can be hard. And so this time my daughter was asking me like not to be at work for very long. Mm-hmm. So I went and I got us these little um, matching uh stuffed animals and I told her like when she hugs hers I'll feel it so it'll make her feel better (laughs) and Chloe is actually tearing up as she says this because in this job like in all jobs being away from your kid is hard even if you feel like it's the right thing I'm definitely not going to be here forever I'm trying to I'm going to school to be a nurse well that's like my first goal is to get that under my belt and I want to eventually be a nurse practitioner and like maybe work in the sports medicine field. Madam Tara says that fields like nursing are really common for women once they retire from the brothels. And some of the skills are overlapping. They both require compassion. Natasha even thinks of her work as healing. But the reason a lot of these women don't start out in those medical fields is that those jobs often require advanced degrees, which can mean tuition and loans. And once you graduate, those jobs don't pay nearly as much as what some women can earn at the brothels. And after talking with moms who work in brothels, we realized that at the end of the day, this job has a lot in common with a lot of other jobs. You have to figure out how much of your work you carry into your personal life and how much of you you bring to work. Childcare is a challenge, and not everyone understands or supports what you do. And it's hard to figure out how to have a career that feels right for you and that provides enough for your family. It all sounds pretty familiar, right? The Double Shift did send executive producer Sarah Ventry, who's not a mom, to three brothels for this story. And fortunately for us, she wasn't afraid to get up close and personal about postpartum bodies with Natasha. I hear a lot from moms about how their bodies change when they have babies and things are different. And so sometimes they feel different about it. And I'm just wondering, like, if and how that plays into your work. I think I got sexier, personally. Want to see? Do you want to see? <laughs> sure. <laughs> you are beautiful. I don't, know. I don't think it looks like I had a baby. It does not look like you had a baby. <laughs> Next week, check your feed on Monday because we'll be back with a bonus episode where we share some of the wild behind-the-scenes stories of what actually went into pulling together this story on sex workers. If you like this show, you won't want to miss it. And then in two weeks, we'll be back with something very different. I'll be sharing a bit of my own story as an audio documentary about being a working mom and the creation of The Double Shift. Thanks so much for listening to The Double Shift. Make sure you're subscribed to hear our future shows. And are any of you listeners out there into Reddit? If so, we'd love it if you shared about The Double Shift on some of those mom-oriented subreddits. Thanks so much for spreading the word. 
To see photos of some of the women we talked to for this episode and to see the brothels, follow us on Instagram at The Double Shift. And you can sign up for our newsletter at thedoubleshift.com. Now I have a podcast I'd like to tell you about, Unladylike. Unladylike is a show about gender rules and the people who break them. Every episode is like a how-to guide seeped in history, research, and real women's stories. This season, Unladylike has covered everything from sexist media coverage of women in the 90s, to getting your tubes tied, to diet culture. Double Shift listeners might especially enjoy the episode How to Slay Sexism Like a Professional, which I really liked. Hosts Kristen and Caroline interview the creator of The Longest Shortest Time, Hilary Frank, who only experienced misogyny at work after she became a mom. Then they answer listener questions about battling workplace sexism with some expert help. Find these episodes and many more by searching for Unladylike Now in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. Our executive producer is Sarah Ventry. Our editorial advisor is Amy Westervelt. Amy and Sarah reported this story. Our editor is Rachel McCarthy. Production assistance from Asal Asanipur and Piper Payne at Nito Mastering. Special thanks to the Southern Documentary Fund. Our music is by Travis Morrison. Our theme song is by Palehound. And we're part of the Critical Frequency Podcast Network. The show is made possible in part through the generous support of the Ford Foundation. I'm your host, Katherine Goldstein. Thanks for joining The Double Shift.